welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Um, I've been doing a series uh, over this Advent time that we've called The Coming of a Promise. And effectively what I've been doing is talking about the greatest promise that the Bible has, obviously the promise of a Messiah, and talking about that as a template of how God makes promises to people like you and I. And um, we've been walking our way through the promise, and we've done things like the people of the promise, um, learning how to protect the promise, the pathway of the promise. And uh, tonight I want to finish by talking about possessing the promise. And it's going to seem a little... um, kind of weird because I'm actually not going to really reference the Christmas promise in winding the series up. Um, I I could have and could have taken this message probably and done it from the Christmas story, but there is another story and, and another person who possesses a promise, and in the possession of that promise is kind of some key lessons that I wanted to draw from, so I'm actually going to take you right back into the story of Abraham. And I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 23, um, and uh, verses 1 through 4, and then the last verses of that chapter. So the chapter starts off, it's one of those chapters you kind of read and flick through without thinking, you know, too much about generally, but we're going to just spend a little bit of time in this passage. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kijath Abra, the same as Hebron, the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up before his dead and spake forth unto the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And then in verse 17, it says, In the field of Ephron, which is in uh, Machpelah, which was before Memory, the field and the cave, which was therein, and all of the trees that were in the field that were uh, in all of the borders round about were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the, ca- in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Memory, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. You're going to think, what on earth does that have to do with Christmas? Well, as I said, not a whole lot, uh, except that um, in this passage, we see Abraham actually coming in to possess something of his promise. This chapter, chapter 23, is a fascinating account of the customs of Abraham's time of burial, of business transaction, but, but it's much more than that. It actually tells us of the time that Abraham began to possess the land that God had promised him. Now, all of you are aware that God had made promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. This this promise to Abraham actually is a crucial part of the ultimate promise of the Messiah because it was through Abraham's family that the Messiah was to come. So the story isn't removed from the bigger story that we've been considering. But in that story, Abraham was promised two things by God. He was promised a son and he was promised a land. So the promise of land was made in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, and then reiterated in chapter 13, verse 15, and chapter 17, verse 8. And you know the story, I'm sure. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees where he lived in pursuit of this 
promise and of the purpose of God. And when he came to the land of Canaan, he traversed the land, north to south, east to west. And the Bible tells us that he was a pilgrim and a sojourner in the land. But he never owned one square inch of the land until this chapter, chapter 23. And it takes the death of his beloved Sarah before he begins to enter into the promise of I will give you a land. The first piece of land he owns is this burial plot. And what I'd like to do this evening, I think briefly, uh, is draw out of this historical incident some principles and apply them to our lives. Those of us who have a promise from God, we believe that God has said something to us. And maybe like Abraham, you've kind of traveled the land north, south, east, and west, but as yet you have not seen all that God's promised. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 says that everything that's written in the Old Testament is actually written for our admonition and instruction. And we can learn something from the way Abraham came into the possession of his promise. We can learn something about coming into the possession of ours. As I said, we, like Abraham, are, are possessors of promise. We have an inheritance that God has given us. Now, Abraham's inheritance related to physical geography. It had to do with hills and rivers and mountains. And ours may not primarily be physical, although, in fact, it may involve that as well. Ours, perhaps, is what we might call a spiritual inheritance. God has promised you things um, regarding your life. It may be regarding your family, um, perhaps your, your children. It may have to do with dimensions of ministry fruitfulness. It may have to do with your business. You feel that God has breathed something into your heart by way of promise. And as I say, many of us are like Abraham. Although we know God has promised this place of fruitfulness to us, we haven't come into it yet. It still remains in that realm of promise. Before Abraham could possess his promise, before he started to own any of the land at all, there was a death. It required a death. And I want to suggest to you this evening that perhaps before you come into your promise, it might also require a death. Now, before you panic, uh, I'm not talking about some, somebody or, or you or anything else physically dying. But what I'd like to suggest to you tonight is that Sarah speaks to us of three things that have to die before we can come into the fullness of that which God has promised us, okay? So three things I want to draw out of this story, three things that need to die so that your promise can come to fruition. The first thing I want you to see is that Sarah was the love of Abraham's life. In a day when marriages were more often than not, simply a business arrangement, and that the women were not much more than domestic slaves. Sarah was a very obvious exception. That was a, it was a patriarchal culture, very male-dominated culture, and um, it's unusual to find a wife or a woman occupying such a significant place in the life of, in this case, Abraham. If I was to ask you to name Isaiah's wife, I suspect that you would be struggling. Maybe if I said, who's Ezekiel's wife? You would say, I haven't got a clue. I remember that she died at one point. Perhaps Moses' wife. Some of you might say, oh, I can remember her. That's Zipporah. 
okay? Well, you know, they, they were, in fact, on the margins of these men's lives. But Sarah is in a completely different place. I could go into a Sunday school class and ask who was Abraham's wife, and half the class would know it was Sarah. So Sarah is given a place of prominence in Abraham's life, and I think that is an indication of actually the high place that she occupied in Abraham's affections. She was without doubt, as you read the story, the love of his life. And the love of Abraham's life had to die before he could begin to see the fulfillment of God's promise. And sometimes it's like that for us too. Sometimes the love of our lives needs to be laid down. Now, it may not be a person, and obviously if it is a person, they don't have to die, but you might well have to die to the hold that that relationship actually has over you. It's perhaps more likely to be a business pursuit or perhaps a hobby, a cherished goal, a dream. It may even have to do with ministry. But what happens is those goals, valid in their place, step out of their place and assume a role that actually can become idolatrous. They take a place of priority. It could be your pursuit of prestige, of reputation, of power, of wealth, of academic achievement. Any number of those things might actually rise to be idolatrous with us. What we're talking about here is the reordering of our priorities. It's about putting God first. You can't receive what God has promised if your hands are filled with something of another purpose. You know, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, It came to pass that as he went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I'll follow you whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first and go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said also, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of, of God. You know, uh, interestingly, let me go first, he says. That word's a word of priority. And by the way, when you read this, sometimes it seems that Jesus is being incredibly unreasonable. You know, the guy says, Lord, I'd love to follow you, but please, can I just bury my father first? And as Westerners, we read that and think, oh, sad, the guy's father's died. There's obviously a funeral in the next, uh, you know, 24, 48 hours. And he says, Jesus, can I follow you? Just let me wait back for the family funeral. And, and we, Jesus says, no. And you think, gee, that's a bit tough. Um, in fact, that's not what he was saying. Um, the, the man's father was very much alive. He wasn't dead. What he's asking in Middle Eastern language is, listen, I'm due for an inheritance and I want to hang around till the old man carks it and then I'll pick up the loot and then I'll follow you. Grassly put, but that's effectively what he's saying. I want to hang around and get my inheritance. This is too big for me to leave right now. Jesus sees right through that and says, the man's got another priority. And I'm sorry, but you seek first the kingdom of heaven. The word first is a word of priority. Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. 
It was C.S. Lewis who once quipped, um, you can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. And the kingdom of God and our allegiance to Jesus comes first. And when something has taken that place, that has to be laid down in death. When something has strangulated your affections to the degree that you cannot in practice put Jesus first, then effectively that has to die before um, God can put his promises and his purpose into your hands. The love of our lives needs to die at times. Our Sarahs need to be laid down in death and their hold broken so that we are free to start seeing the promise of God come to us. Second thing, Sarah was the channel of promise in days gone by. See, you know the story. Abraham was not only promised a land, but he was promised an heir. And Sarah was the channel through whom that promise flowed. The child was a miracle child and as such incredibly treasured and very, very precious. There's a little known part to Abraham's story, however. After Sarah died, and that's recorded in Genesis 23, in Genesis chapter 25, verse one, we are told that Abraham remarried. He married a woman, he remarried a woman named Keturah. And the verses tell us that she bore him six more sons. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that these children were as important in the redemptive purposes of God as Isaac was. I'm simply making the observation that after Sarah's death, Abraham discovered increased fruitfulness through another channel. So, well, Don, so what? What does that mean for us? Well, you know, we treasure our Sarahs, don't we? We treasure the places, the means, the methods, by which God has moved in past days and blessed us. We're very grateful for those channels and rightly so. But I, I know studying church history and probably you know as well too, that being grateful for what God has done in the past can be a short step from honoring and esteeming them and being bound to them in a way that is little short of idolatrous. Church history is replete with movements that have been greatly blessed by God and then as God did the next thing, they were not able to give up that channel and they've camped around a truth, a person, uh, a doctrine and as God moved, they were not able to embrace something fresh and you can end up looking more to the channel, the method, the situation that God moved in rather than we look to the God who moved in those situations and methods. There's a story in the Old Testament that's found in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse four, where Hezekiah, the godly king, had to take the brazen serpent that um, Moses had made in the wilderness. You remember when um, the people talked against Moses, they were whinging and whining as they were prone to do, and the Lord allowed a whole lot of snakes to come into the camp. Many of them were bitten and were poisoned, and uh, as, as Moses cried out in intercession, God said, make this brass serpent, put it on a pole, stick it in the camp, and whoever looks at it after they've been bitten will be healed. Well, they carried that with them, obviously, through the wilderness wanderings and well into the years of the kingdom. And by the time Hezekiah comes to the throne, they are worshiping this thing. 
And it says in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, that Hezekiah has to tear it down because this thing, which has once been such a channel of blessing to the people, has now become a point of idolatry and they have to throw it down. God wants to do new things. And in order for you to come into your promise, he's probably going to do things that will surprise you. More than likely, it, may, it, it, it won't come in methods, channels, and ways in which he's blessed you in the past. He just doesn't seem to repeat himself. As every fingerprint is fresh and new, as every uh, voice print is apparently different, God just does things differently. He likes to do new things. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and 19, it says, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I'll do a new thing. Now it will spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God likes to do new things. And we've got to remain flexible and open to that creative touch as God says, no, I did that last time. This time I want to do that. We say, but Lord, I love what you did last time. He said, yeah, I know that, but I want to do something different. Couldn't you do it the same? I'm familiar with it. It's so good. There's more life left in it. And God says, I want to do something new. Sometimes the Sarahs, the things that have been greatly blessed in times past have to be laid in the cave of Machpelah in death so that God can do something new. So increased fruitfulness can come in other ways. You know, the prophet Amos says this to the children of Israel. He says, thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, seek ye me and you shall live. And then he says, but seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, nor pass to Bathsheba. Now these places were the highlights of Israel's journeys in days gone by. Bethel, the house of God, where God appeared to, to, to Jacob. Gilgal, where they were circumcised as they moved into the new land. Bathsheba, where Samuel would make his rounds. These were the high places of Israel's geography and history. But God says, don't go there looking for me. Seek me and, and you'll live. Don't go to these places where I moved in past times. Gilgal shall go into captivity. Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord and you shall live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. God says, I want to do something different. Are you ready for it? And we cling to our Sarahs. You know, we, we're hanging on for dear life. And sometimes God just says, all right, you stay there. You worship around your brazen pole. I'll do something different and you won't see it. So Sarah speaks to us of the loves of our lives, the things that entangles our affections. Sarah also speaks of us, to us of our unwillingness sometimes to embrace new things that God wants to do. And thirdly and finally, Sarah speaks to us about the, the failures of our past. You know, as you read the story of Abraham, his most cowardly and despicable moments all center around Sarah. Do you remember the time she was taken into Pharaoh's harem and, and he, he, he encourages Sarah to lie, mostly to, to, save his own, his, to save his own life. And he's willing to put Sarah at risk in order to save himself. And he didn't just do it once. He didn't, he didn't just do it with... Pharaoh and then learn his lesson. But later on, he does exactly the same thing with a man called Abimelech. And I, I can imagine the love that Abraham has for Sarah. Uh, it must have been incredibly hard for him in the light of these failures to actually look her in the face at times. Memories of his cowardly failure could have intimidated, accused, and condemned him. Friends, 
If we're gonna come into the promises of, of God, I, I tell you one thing that has to happen, our past failures have to be buried out of our sight. You, you, if you have in your hands, you can have in your hands the, the affections of something that has become idolatrous, but you can also have in your hands the ashes of your past failure. And you count yourself out of the purposes of God because you think God wouldn't want to use me. I wouldn't want to. And I, and I think that he probably wouldn't want to either. But, but God does want to use you. He uses ordinary people. Remember, uh, I, in this series, I talked about the people that promises happen to. Ordinary people, lowly people, people who are flawed to the bone kinds of people. Abraham the liar, Moses the murderer, Hezekiah the, uh, sorry, Manasseh the, the idolater, David the adulterer. On and on it goes. Ordinary people. And yes, it might be true that you have failed significantly. But friends, that's what redemption's all about. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for. Our failure, our brokenness. He comes, he cleanses. He takes the memories and the shame and he takes them out of our hands so that he can actually put into our hands his promises. Coming into the fulfillment of our dream requires taking some risks. It, it requires looking at our failures and yet beyond them, seeing redemption and seeing that God might have something that he wants to do in and through us. I, I know, you know, taking risks is in, inherently difficult for many of us. We, we want to be safe. We want to be secure. But to come into the fulfillment of your dreams um, probably isn't gonna be safe or secure. It's gonna require significant risk. It's gonna require you putting the love of your life to the one side. It's gonna require being open and flexible to new things that God would do with all of the insecurity that that, uh, that, that has inherent in it. It requires that you bury your failures and you face up to this God who wants to take you in new ways and in new pathways and uh, as I say, take risks. Sometimes the failures in our past make us risk averse. We think I'm, I'll never do that again. I'm not, I'm not gonna do that again. I talked last week about the fact that Joseph could have said, you know, every, everywhere I touch leadership, it hurt me. And, I, and I'm not gonna be subject to that again. I'm not gonna let leaders hurt me ever again. You know, there were my brothers, there was my father, there was Potiphar, and now this guy Pharaoh wants me to do this, and, and I'm just not gonna do it because I'm not taking that risk. But God's purposes involve you taking risks. And sometimes you have to face circumstances that look a lot like the failures of your past and step into them and believe that God will, through these circumstances, bring about his purpose. So often God brings us full circle. So friends, you've got to bury the memories of your past. They can't be a barrier to you moving forward. Over and over again in chapter 23, the words out of my sight is used so that I can bury my dead out of my sight. And, and we, we've got to release our past. We've got to release the failures of our past the shame of our past. It's got to be buried out of our sight. So, folks, Sarah speaks to us of three things that need to happen if we're going to inherit the promises of God. There needs to be the reordering of our lives. And maybe through this season, 
um, busyness aside, it would be a good time to just say, Lord, what are the loves of my life? What are the things that compete for your affection? Is there anything, because if you asked me, I'd say, no, 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 of course Jesus is the love of my life. But sometimes practically, you know, while we say one thing with our mouth, we say another thing with our time, our energy, and our money. And friends, if you wanna know what the love of your life is, you, th- you check those three things. Where does your time go? Where does your energy go? Where does your money go? Those three things are telltale signs of what actually you love, okay? So maybe it would be a good time to reorder your priorities. Maybe it would be a good time to be tender before the Lord and say, Lord, would you make me flexible? I know that you've moved in my life in this way in times gone by, but is there anything that you want me to do that might be new? You might have a a precious way of reading the scriptures, a precious way of praying, and all of those things are great. Read the scriptures, pray, all of those things we do. But are you open to the Lord saying, hey, I want you to do something different for a season. I want you to do this for a season. About six, maybe six, eight weeks ago, I felt the Lord just challenged me with something regarding my prayer life. I want you to do something different. And so for the last six weeks, I've just been doing this different thing. And, uh, you know, there are times when the Lord says, I want you to do something different. Wow, you know, that's not how we do it around here. Well, it's, it's about being flexible, all right? It's about embracing the new things that God wants to do. And thirdly, we need our failures buried out of our past. Don't let your failures make you risk averse. Don't let your failures clog up your life with shame and disappointment. All of us have failed. Friends, we are dysfunctional people. That's the reality. And, and if he wanted perfect people, then you know, none of us would be here. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. He restores, he redeems, he remakes. So bring your failures to the cross, leave them there, let them be buried out of your sight and start afresh. Under the touch of the Holy Spirit, start afresh. Before Abraham could possess one square inch of his promise, Sarah had to die. And sometimes, before we can begin to possess ours, those same things need to die too. I'm going to ask Brian and the team to come. Father, we thank you for your incredible kindness and goodness. Lord, uh, as we were singing before, show us your glory, only your glory. I was thinking about Moses on the mountain and he cried out that same prayer and you came by and showed him who you were. And the glory was the glory of your character, your loving kindness, your mercy, your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness, your truth. So afresh, Lord, we say, please, would you show us your glory? Would you allow who you are to so shape us that we would be a reflection of that glory? And like Moses, our faces would shine in the light of that. We want to be a people, Lord, in this time that reflect you into our community. We want to be a people who see the things that you've promised come to fruition in our lives. So help us, we pray, by your grace, moving in and through us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.